be continued is this little mini-series that we're doing. And uh, I want to read today uh, from Luke 24. So if you can, do me a favor. Let's stand one more time for the honoring of the reading of the word today. As you're standing, can I do some shout-outs real quick? Shout-out to the worship team for doing a, a phenomenal job. I'm so grateful for uh, Efren and the lead team, Liz and Dylan and Isaac and Dave and all of them, that you guys put together so much effort into this. And so we appreciate every moment you guys led. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. And shout out to the production team. Without them, you won't see anything. Shout out to our kids ministry right now, who's holding it down. She's going to hate this, but I love embarrassing her. Give it up for Lori. She's the uh, our kids director. If you don't know who she is, she's the one making the stank face right now. Um, but she kills it. She kills it. So I'm so appreciative of everyone who puts everything together. Shout out for security. You don't know where they are, but they're dangerous. They're dangerous. I wish you would try to run up here right now. See what happens. See what happens. Because if you get through them, you still got to get through me. Come on, somebody. I wasn't saved my whole life, Efren. Now that I bought some time. Luke 24. In case you didn't know, I believe wholeheartedly that um, fun can be holy. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we could be joyful. You can enjoy Easter Sunday. I know sometimes people are like, it's very reverent. And trust me, we're going we're gonna to keep the reverence of it. Uh, but it could still be joyful. They can still be joyful. Chapter 24, starting at verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, because this happened on a Sunday, now we switch the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain other woman with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices with the, which they had prepared. I love this. Um, this is my evidence to say that women were the first missionaries in Scripture. Check. I got all the women's favor in this sermon already. Said, so, but the found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Yo, they were greatly perplexed about this. They didn't understand. What did they expect? They expected to see a body. So they were perplexed. That behold, two men stood by them in shiny garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, these are representatives of heaven, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then, and then heaven tries to remind you what you heard, because sometimes we're not in the moment of drama, in the moment of frustration, in the moment of, of confusion. We can't put the puzzle pieces together. So, so heaven reminded them in the moment, remember he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. There are times where God is trying to talk to you, but we're missing it because we're so focused on the drama and not focused on him. 
And as I remember these words, they returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to be like idle tales. You're just telling a story. This ain't real. And they did not believe in them. But Peter, my man Pedro, arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying. In fact, they were folded by themselves. In Jewish custom, if you were staying in someone's house, you would, you would fold the sheets up again because you wanted to be invited back. Jesus wants to be invited back into your lives. So he folded the table, he folded the, 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 the linens together, and, and, and by themselves, he departed marveling to himself at, at what had happened. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Join me as we pray for this morning. Father, um, this is not going to be uh, a long service. It's been a phenomenal service so far. So with this little bit, in this moment right now, we ask you to speak to every individual in this place I don't care. I recognize that maybe some people in this room, you were nagged to come to church and you barely believe in God. That's okay. God, I want you to speak to them where they are. Bless them with something to hold on to. Today is about hope. Today is about joy. Today is about you. So take center stage in this story that you're writing today. And we offer all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. As you're being seated, look to the person next to you and thank them for showering today. You guys are close and tight today. Thank God for showers. Come on, somebody. If you're going to smell good, smell good on Easter Sunday. Come on. Why do you look for the living among the dead. Last week we talked about how we shouldn't put periods where God wants to write commas. There are moments in our lives where we see, we experience an event, we experience a moment, and we say, it's done, it's over. This is it. For some of you, maybe this year, someone left you and it devastated you. Maybe some of you, you your dream has been destroyed and shattered. And you wonder, is your dream ever going to be fulfilled? And it's better for you to let go of your dream than to face more disappointment. We want to put a period, but God wants to put a comma. He wants to continue writing the story of our lives. Now, in the 1900s, we used to watch TV in a way where you had to be sitting down in front of the TV at a certain moment, okay? Y'all remember this? Some of y'all look at me like, what is this that you're talking about? You had to, it, it, the show started at 8. You had to be in front of the TV at 7.57. With your popcorn or whatever you're eating, right? There was no TiVo. If you, if you were bougie, you might have a VCR that you could record. Okay? But I didn't. And I remember growing up watching my jams, my, 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 my sitcoms, all right? Good times. Come on, somebody. Come on, right? I, I remember watching, and this is, this is again, we're going to keep it reverent, but I'm going to be honest with you. This is past. This is pre-Jesus. Three's Company. Yeah, you remember? Happy days. All right? But my jam, 
my jam was a show called Family Ties. Does anybody remember Family Ties? This was, this was Michael J. Fox when he was Alex P. Keaton. He, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't Marty McFly yet. All right? But the reason I love this show, and I remember, y'all remember when the TVs, they couldn't be up on the wall. They had to be on the floor because they weighed like 1,100 pounds. All right? Y'all plotting something. What are y'all plotting right now? All right. <laughs> You're communicating. They were on the TV, and I remember I had to sit in front of the TV, crisscross applesauce. That's what y'all call it now, right? Crisscross with my oatmeal, and I remember waiting for family ties. And it wasn't even about the show. It was about the theme song. Because out of all the theme songs, the Family Ties theme song had this groove to it. Does anybody remember it? I might lose 80% of this audience, but this is my Easter gift to myself, right? And if you know it, if you know it, you can hum along to it. It goes like this. Remember this? What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? My man, right here, look. And there ain't no nothing we can't love. There's no. What would we do? The best, the best ending. Listen to it. Right here. You just leave me like that? Sha-la-la-la. I think Johnny Mathis wrote that. I, remember, I could just imagine them in the booth. How do we end this song? John Mathis like, I got this. Harmonize with me, girl. Sha-la-la-la. Ooh, that's it. You hit that right. Mm-hmm. So later on, do me a favor. When you're having your ham at dinner, just look at the person next to you. Go, sha-la-la-la. And see if they know. But I remember watching, the first time watching Family Ties, it was about 1987. I think I was about six years old. And there was this episode where Jennifer, the, the young sister, um, she was trying to be cool. It was her 13th birthday, and she was throwing together a party, right? Does anybody remember this episode at all? Or am I just old by myself? Okay. Um, and she was throwing a party, and, and she tried to invite all the popular girls in school, um, but they thought it was lame, and they started gambling. Scandalous. And some drama hit the, hit the fan, and all of a sudden, at the end of the show, it said, to be continued. And I was like, yo, what you mean to be continued? Because remember, like, I know nowadays, when you do Netflix, you could just go to the next episode, right? Right? And then Netflix judges you, right? Are you still watching? Yes. Yes, I'm still watching. Stop judging me, Netflix. And you just move on and continue and continue and continue. But to be continued, I had to wait seven days to find out what happened to Jennifer. And mind you, I was six. So I'm going to school and I'm like, what's gonna happen to Jennifer? Are her parents gonna find out? Is she gonna make any money off of this gambling that's going on under her roof? I need to know and I just had to wait and wait to see how this story was going to end. I didn't like it. Y'all know not about no waiting. And the worst part, the worst part, some sitcoms, they would end at the beginning of summer. And you know, summertime's all reruns. Oh, I'm preaching now. <laughs> reruns, so not only did you have to wait, not just wait next week, you had to wait till the fall to find out what happened to Jennifer. Yeah. 
And so it got me thinking, like, there are moments in our lives where it's just like, hey, um, what happens when life gives us a cliffhanger? Because you still have air in your lungs. You still got to wake up the next day. What happens? Is it really over? Is it really over when someone passes away? I just had my grandmother pass away a few weeks ago. Is it really over? And we make these certain declaratives over everything. And I want to remind us, Hebrews 12, too. Actually, starting at verse 1. says, therefore, we also... Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all of heaven is surrounding us. Says, Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that easily entangles us. Why? Why? For we run the race with endurance, and it's set before, and, and run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, watch this, who's the author and finisher of our faith. The author and finisher, for, for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have a Jesus that saw right through the to be continued. He didn't put a period on Friday. He saw right through it. He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't put a period. He put a comma. Because there's still more that God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. If there's still air in your lungs, there's still more. And he's a phenomenal author. If we actually allow him to write the story of our lives, I'm not saying that your life is going to be better. I am saying that you are going to be better. If we continue to, but he's, he's a different type of author. He doesn't, he doesn't write the way we write. So we have expectations when it comes to stories, right? One of the movies that I can't stand, I can't stand it when I could predict how the end of the movie is going to be. I, I didn't pay, you know, I didn't get a second mortgage to go to the movie theater <laughs> and get popcorn just to know what, what's coming. Surprise me. Entertain me. Do something. He's a different type of author. So very quickly, I want you to hold on to a couple things today. And I think the message of Easter is obviously that Jesus is risen. The message of Easter is that he conquered the grave. He died. And he didn't just live to be an example, right? If he, if he died, he still would have been a great story, that he lived as a phenomenal example for us to follow. But because he resurrected, he went from the example to our Savior. It's the resurrection is the difference maker here. But what the resurrecting shows us is that we need to not trust our eyes but actually trust in the story that he's writing because he's a different type of author. First point, this author that we call God, this author is not subject to patterns. We have patterns. We see things in patterns. We're conditioned to function in patterns. In social media, we call those algorithms, right? Some of you have curated your feed for specific things, right? I bet you Efren, he has like cats and 80s hair metal. That's what I'm guessing. Something like that. I'm kidding. That's not what he has. Right? Like, we're, life conditions us for patterns. We expect 
certain things. You, you, you protect yourself based on the patterns that you see. But we have this author, he's not subject to the patterns of life. You would think, okay, you live a good life, you lead some people, you die, and then it's over. We've been conditioned for these patterns and algorithms. And because of the patterns, what we have is we have expectations when it comes to life, right? We have expectations on specific outcomes when it comes to the experiences in our lives. And then what we do is we develop, we develop our own calculations of those patterns, right? I know me for myself, I got to stop, I got to fight the calculations of my patterns. Let me be real with you. There are many times where somebody comes up to me and says, man, I love this church. God has called us to this church. I love you. You're my favorite pastor. And then a couple months later, they're gone. And if I live my life based on those calculations, I will never, ever have intimacy with anyone in our church. So we trust in calculations over trusting his character. And all of us, here's what we do. Here's what we do. Follow me for a second. What we do is then we make decisions. We make decisions about God based on the outcomes. Right? We make decisions about God based on the outcomes because we put so much trust in our calculations. They expected to go to this tomb and find a dead body. That was their calculation. And they made a decision about God based on the outcome. But what would it look like if you made a decision on the outcome based on your God? What would it look like? If not, we, it's easy. It's so easy. To, okay, God must not like me because I didn't get that promotion. God must li not like me because I didn't get that girl. God must not like me because I didn't get that position. So we make decisions on God based on the outcome. So what would it look like if you made decisions on the outcome based on God? He... They were, the angels reminded these ladies, hey, listen, he told you. I know patterns tell you otherwise. He told you he was going to rise again on the third day. What if you made a decision on your outcomes based on God and not vice versa? This author is not subject to patterns. And then here's what we do. We, we live lives based on these patterns, based on these calculations, and then when those when those patterns are broken, so is our hearts. When those patterns are broken, so is our faith. But I just want to remind you something. If we can learn anything from Easter, that broken patterns doesn't mean that he's broken his promise. Broken patterns does not mean that he's broken his promise. He promises healing. He promises joy. So if I don't have it right now, it's not that I'm never going to get it. It's just a to-be-continued episode, Jennifer. This author is not subject to your patterns. Y'all getting this? Second thing, this author is not subject to reviews. Not subject to reviews. I know right now I'm working on this book, and I'm dreading the editing process. I'm dreading because I'll be darned if somebody's going to tell me to change something up on my book. And sometimes as I'm writing, I'm, I'm giving y'all way too much of my life, but don't judge me, okay? As I'm writing, I'm thinking, how is, how is this person going to read that? What is this person going to think of that? I'm already thinking of the reviews before I even finish the book. 
But this author is not subject to reviews. And all throughout his ministry, he always combated the reviews, not even of just people. There are times where he starts talking about, this is my body and this is my blood, eat and drink of it. And there was a whole bunch of people that were around him that were like, deuces, I'm out of here. You, Jesus is talking crazy. The reviews were bad. All right? The reviews were bad even with the religious people. People were talking about him. How dare you? How dare you sit with sinners, Jesus? That's what the reviews were. How dare you sit with Jesus didn't care about no reviews. How dare, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? We're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. How dare you do that, Jesus? Jesus didn't care about the reviews. Now, and, and I had to learn this the hard way because I always go to the extreme with things. Anybody human like me? And there was a point in my, in my leadership, I was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what you think. Jesus cared what people thought. He just didn't let it define him. He wasn't subject to their reviews. He kept on writing the story that he was writing, despite even when his close friends didn't even like it. There were times, Peter, Pedro. Pedro was like, no, not you, Jesus. You ain't going out like that. Says it in the Greek. He says, you're not going to go out like that, Jesus. And Jesus was like, yo, first of all, back up. You don't tell me what to do. Jesus, there was a point where Jesus was about to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, no, you can't do this. And Jesus is like, yo, back up. I don't care about your reviews. I'm writing this story. So he doesn't care about the reviews. And last thing, he doesn't care. He's, this author is not subject to censorship. Now, before you think I'm, I'm spinning this a little politically, I'm not. I've never used this platform for political reasons. For me, it has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with kingdom. And he's not subject to censorship. Again, even his close friends tried to censor him. Philip was trying to censor him. He was like, hey, listen, um, slow down. We can't feed all these people. You can't say that you're going to feed them. That costs too much money. Jesus didn't allow himself to. He was going to say what he was going to say. He's going to say what he's going to say. And when you think about censorship, censorship is, is, is basically like protecting yourself and prohibiting things that are unacceptable and a threat to security. And for some people, what he was saying was a threat to their security, especially the religious people. It was a threat to their livelihood. It was a threat to their hold over the crowd. So he didn't allow them to censor him. He was, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I am. And when he said the term I am, you would think, what's, what's the big deal about that? That was a heavy statement. Because he was saying, when he says I am, the last time they heard I am, was because the one in the Old Testament, God himself said I am. So he considered himself God. But yet he didn't allow people to censor him. Again, Peter took him to the side. He said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, don't censor me. I'm going to do what I came to do. I wonder if we censor God. We don't let God use certain words over our lives. I don't think we let God use this, this F word. 
Get your mind out the gutter. It's Easter. I'm talking about the word forgiveness. Sometimes we censor God. We censor God that way because we say, and this is how religion does. It's like, God, you can't forgive me. I still have to do X, Y, Z to earn your favor. All of us do it. Even I do it sometimes. There's some Sundays like I just had the crappiest week. I can't come up in here and just worship God. I can't come up here and preach. I can't come up here and lead like with the way my mind's right now and the way I'm just feeling heavy and, and defeated and all this other stuff. And, 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 and God, you can't use your F word on me today. I'm going to censor you. Or maybe some of you today, maybe this week you got high or drunk or you slept around or whatever and you feel as though you still aren't at a place where you can earn his forgiveness, so you reject his forgiveness. Or something deep in your past and you say, man, I can't forgive myself. So if I can't forgive myself, I am not going to accept the forgiveness of Jesus. But yet we can't censor Jesus. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we try to censor him. We try to censor his blessing. You can't bless me. You don't know what I've done. Yes, he does. You, you, can't, you can't bless me. You don't know where I came from. And he will. He's the author and finisher of your faith. But we censor him. We don't let him do certain things. Because it doesn't fit in our patterns and, it, and, and we don't know how people are going to review it. And quite frankly, he cares so much about you that he doesn't care about all those other things. So we censor him. Say, God, I can't forgive myself. Or I can't forgive that person. There's sometimes I'm like, God, I receive your forgiveness, but can you block it for them? Is that too real? <laughs> you don't need to forgive them today. <laughs> but we try to censor Jesus. And Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He offered forgiveness. Now, when we stop censoring Jesus and allow his words and his story to have an impact of our lives, here's what's going to happen. I guarantee you it's going to happen, that when I allow his words to have effect in my life, I don't have to work for his grace. I don't have to work for his forgiveness. I want to offer him a better life. I want to give him my best. You think you have to clean yourself up in order to come to Jesus. Jesus says, no, come to me and I will clean you up. And I will clean you up. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry that the church has censored Jesus. And I want to say it exactly how he said it. He says, everyone, put down your stones. And the only one that's allowed to throw a stone is those who have no sin. And when we all put down our stones, he says, I do not condemn you. You're forgiven. Then he says, go sin no more. That right there, folks, I want an uncensored gospel in the life of our lives. So that when the crap happens, and it will, we can hold on to our faith and say, no, 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 he's not going to leave me here. 
he's not going to leave me here. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. And I'm going to hold on and I'll put, just like Jesus did, for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure this believing that he's a great author. That he's a great author. That he's a great author. Do me a favor. Let's all stand up in his presence right now. And again, I'm not going to try to force this, but there's uh, two lovely ladies to my right in the corner, Kate and Emily. And um, they're our service managers for today. If God moves on your heart that you want to get baptized, I want you to go and talk to those two individuals, um, and they'll hook you up. But what I want to do right now is I want to give you an opportunity. So if you can, I just there's nothing magical about this, but if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to give you a private moment between you and Jesus. And if you feel today that you've had it twisted, you, you, you didn't know that that's the Jesus that really lived and died and rose again for you. You didn't know that. You didn't know. You thought for whatever reason, because religion taught you that you had to clean yourself up before you even come to him. But now you're realizing that you could come just as you are and he'll clean you up. And you want to receive that uncensored gospel in your life. If that's you, every head bowed and every eyes closed, I want to keep this moment private. If that's you and you feel like you want to, you want to give your heart over and start this new relationship with Jesus, can you just raise your hand subtly right now and I can see you. Thank you, thank you. Hold your hand up, hold your hand up, keep your hand up. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, right now in Jesus' name, you know every hand raised, and I pray right now, Jesus, that they accept your gift. They don't have to earn it. They just have to accept it. And in our hearts right now, they don't just declare you their Savior, but your Lord and Savior of their lives. Let this be the beginning of their story today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for forgiving them for every sin they committed, every sin they're doing, and every sin they're going to do. You paid it all. And they don't have to make payments on it because you paid it all. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.